Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. And this week, on the other line, attempting to do open heart surgery while traveling 100 miles an hour down the highway, listening to Yacht Rock, it's Josh Martin. We don't stop. Yes, (laughs) we're here. I'm here. Thanks for having me, Jesse. I'm glad to come on and join and talk about uh, one of the most interesting American popular filmmakers working today, arguably. I feel like I've built this episode up uh, for for weeks now. We're we're talking all Bayham. This is this is the Michael Bay podcast. All the haters sign off. This podcast isn't for you. This is for the cool kids. We're we are going to be. I don't I don't I don't know that I'm going to necessarily be saying like Michael Michael Bay is a is a great filmmaker, but we're we're going to give Michael Bay the the deep criticism that he deserves. Exactly. And the, we're we're going to he deserves to be talked about just as thoughtfully and as David Fincher or Christopher Nolan or Big Uncle yeah. Marty, you know? It's a, it's a different it's a different style of filmmaking, but it is no one you can wa- do what he does. You watch yeah. a Michael Bay movie and you know it's a Michael Bay movie. Like there's nothing else like it. Um, exactly. And yeah, absolutely. So obviously this is tying in. Michael Bay has a new movie out in theaters now. It is called Ambulance. Um, we will obviously talk about our thoughts about the movie later in the episode. Um, I think just as a tease, I think both of us had a pretty fun time with this movie. I would even oh, yeah. go as far as to say this is... Um, one of the better Michael Bay experiences I think I've yep. ever had. Um, what what to you? I mean, my, Michael Bay. I think for at least a lot of you and I's lifetime is kind of seen as like a villain figure in in sort of film discourse. I, you know, I I I sort of grew up hearing his name as kind of like I, I feel like he's an easy target for kind of. Yeah these bad kind of YouTube reaction videos of like, Oh, who's the worst filmmaker out there or something like that. He, but he exists, as we ca- Yeah, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say, but I, I think as we kind of introed in by saying like, he is someone who has very much his own distinct style and distinct mm-hmm. aesthetic. And I think over time, and it feels like, especially more in recent years, people I think have come to, if, if not come fully around on him i think gained sort of a deeper appreciation for him as sort of a singular voice in the medium and someone who approaches his movies with a very clear very distinct viewpoint and no other human being on the planet is going to make a movie like him and that's a a unique thing in in the world and i think means that he is someone who who deserves a sort of greater level of conversation than I feel like he's been given for at least most of my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think I think someone had a, a tweet that was something along these lines, uh, but it was it went in a different direction. But I think you can in some ways attribute the sort of uh, critical reappreciation of Michael Bay and, you know, just within the sort of school of vulgar auteurism more generally uh, in some ways coincides pretty well with the rise of 
extremely well-oiled, well-packaged franchise blockbusters mm-hmm. uh, that are not, uh, you know, necessarily the product of a singular vision. I mean, you know, I know people liked the first Transformers movie that was made post Bay, uh, but it was pretty generic. I mean, I, I like Haley Seinfeld. I like John I, Cena, I, but I didn't see it. I'll, I'll be yeah, honest. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, every Michael Bay Transformers movie, though, even the ones that I don't like, uh, particularly the last one, which for some reason involves Arthurian legends. And that's uh, that is the one I had not seen in theaters. And so specifically for this conversation with you, I went and watched it on HBO Max. And that's that's for anyone who doesn't know the like it's even convoluted by Transformer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> level, which is like incomprehensible and has like Anthony yeah. Hopkins talking about how like the Knights of the Round Table with the Autobots and Mechatron was Merlin or wh- whatever the, like Hobgoblin exactly. nonsense is in that the movie. The only <laughs> thing, the only thing I remember from that movie is that Anthony Hopkins has a robot butler and that at one point that robot butler is driving a car and he's singing move bitch get out the way and he's like driving around <laughs> that is the only like the only like memory the thing that's stuck in my brain from that movie um nothing else sticks um yeah i mean uh so i mean for, for context for me i mean michael bay uh i was the perfect age when transformers 1 came out i was about mm. 9 years old eight or nine okay. years old which is right in that sweet spot where you haven't quite developed critical faculties to see what's wrong with that movie right and are just instead excited by smashy robot uh, i mean nonsense. i'm i'm a little bit older than you but yeah i i can attest that like that was like the movie of that summer when it came it, out it i've i've yeah. i've not gone back and watched any of those movies i had like i i just have no interest in rewatching any of them and remember yeah. most of them being quite bad but no i mean i i can attest like that movie was an event unto itself when yeah. it originally came out and what what is that like oh six oh seven that seven comes out? seven okay yeah um and uh and yeah i mean so that was the kind of uh a big movie for me um i think you know trying to like get older and i there's like a great Roger Ebert quote over time where he, you know, and Ebert was not exactly kind to Michael Bay, but where he talks about like evolving taste over time. And at one mm-hmm. point you think, oh, you know, I'll like this more because it's better. And then you just end up circling back around and like embracing the trash you liked as a little kid. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of my experience with Michael <laughs> Bay in general. Um, but, you know, I mean, Ambulance is there's some, we'll talk about more about it. But, you know, I mean, there's some really singular stuff going on in that movie. Um, there's also just continually, uh, ever increasingly insane politics in all of Michael Bay's movies that are essentially incomprehensible at a certain point. Um, six underground in particular, I remember finding utterly fascinating, especially because so much of Michael Bay's aesthetic has been this sort of, uh, hyper-masculine jingoism and patriotism. Like, you know, he has, he has what I think would be like considered by many like a very like middle america oh yeah almost right wing aesthetic but like in in public is very uh closed off about his political opinions although i guess there's like one interview out there where he like talks about really liking an obama speech and like giving obama a compliment but that's so like for all for all we know it seems like he's a pretty like liberal hollywood guy who just like 
is very upfront about like i know i can make well for a long time we can maybe talk about some of his box office pro- prospects in more recent years but mm-hmm. for for a while like no if you sell movies to middle america like you're going to make more money and that and having that kind of philosophy it seems yeah absolutely i mean i should say as we, as we go throughout this conversation i saw michael bay talk for about 95 minutes last week shout out to collider they had a screening and i was able to get in there um and uh fascinating insights on just his on his process on how he works i mean the man is a bundle of energy to say the least uh so Mm -hmm. there's no doubt in my mind like how who he is as a person is in some ways manifested by what's on screen and just the chaos of it um i made a comment to someone yesterday where i said like michael bay is the like epitome of someone who goes so far right wing that they end up accidentally looping back around and becoming far left um (laughs) where there's like some moments where it's like especially in ambulance and especially in six underground where it's like okay yeah this is this is really pretty sort of uh uh you know militaristic uh Mm -hmm. i mean six underground is like what is that movie about again like six billionaires who are like ah yes we shall save the planet and uh, take out the bad (laughs) just an insane concept um this one he sold it in as like his love letter to first responders which i guess he also has a bunch of cops and this one got lit up by a, a machine gun uh, in right. the entire scene. So there's interesting stuff going on across the board. Um, I think uh, one could generously call Michael Bay's uh, cinematic politics incoherent. I think that would be a, uh, a good that's, way to look at it. That's probably um, the most accurate reading. <laughs> he reflected a little bit in the thing on where he was talking like, oh, well, you know, people have realized over time that like my movies were considered really pro-America and now they're like slightly less pro-America, but it comes from a similar sort of right-wing ethos of like, we treat our veterans like such shit. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. we do. I'm like, okay, I'm glad you're realizing this. We get a little flag waving in this movie. Not as yes. much as like Transformers where it's like, you've got like, it's like all of those movies used to come out 4th of July weekend. You've got like Optimus yes. Prime <laughs> flying by the American flag. I'm coming to kill you. It's just, yeah, yeah. USA party time. Uh, So to kind of back us up a bit, I mean, mm -hmm. Bay's career, you know, he starts off as a very, very successful music video and commercial filmmaker. I think that's really notable for sort of the formation of his um, aesthetics and and just bringing, I think of him kind of as like the, steroided up version of someone like tony scott of like when tony scott comes on the scene in the 1980s he's bringing the this kind of glossy maximum impact aesthetic that you use to sell like a ferrari or chanel number five or like or a a brazier in the case of michael bay and giving (laughs) that kind of you know when you're working in the space of like a music video or a commercial like every image has to have maximum impact you have to like really bluntly and really directly sell the product and the 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 sort of facade of that product to the audience or the the sort of image of that artist and so tony scott kind of in the 80s adds that sort of sexy gloss to action movies where every image looks like this like impossibly erotic like magic hour sunset of like just imagine like half the images in top gun of just sort of like every person in that movie looking 
like impossibly hot and sweaty and then like the jets are taking off and it's the orange glow of the sun um and that's essentially the mode that michael bay is in um and then in the mid 90s he gets into movies um i'll just kind of run through i think kind of the 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 sort of first five movie run he goes on is really interesting as sort of like a director moving up the ranks in hollywood so he does low fairly low budget action r-rated action movie in bad boys uh that movie's a hit it looks a lot more expensive than it like than you would think for the budget it was made at and essentially makes will smith and martin lawrence action stars i mean it's it people need to remember that when this movie came out they were mostly just like sitcom guys will smith Mm -hmm. included um that opens the door for him to do a bigger budget r-rated action movie with bigger more established stars at the time he does the rock with sean connery and nicholas cage that movie's a big hit opens the door for him to do armageddon this massive summer blockbuster disaster movie becomes the biggest hit of 1998 and what do you do when you're on top of the box office charts then all of a sudden bay is like i'm gonna do a prestige move and Mm -hmm. thinking that oh you have someone like james cameron is able to go from like the biggest action filmmaker in the world to raking in oscars with titanic so bay and producer jerry bruckheimer go looking for their titanic they do pearl harbor which i would say is I feel like some people, I don't know how much he is reflected on that movie. I know there are some people who have worked on that movie now who even admit like, yeah, he was probably a wrong choice for that. But a a fascinating example of like uh, an artist and material that is like a total mismatch and is a bit of him trying to be a totally different filmmaker than I think he is instinctively. That, That is a sort of, for anyone who hasn't seen a like, sweeping melodramatic romance with like the backdrop of this horrible tragedy but bay kind of neither cares about the romance and treats this sort of tragedy as like a 10 year old smashing their toy airplanes together of like he's getting high off the destruction and then i think it's fascinating the movie he does after that is bad boys 2 which almost sort of feels like and that 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 is a movie that like I fully understand why some people hate that movie. Like there's the Roger Ebert review where he kind of infamously says like everyone involved in this movie needs to do community service now (laughs) of like, I I understand because it is a like grotesque um, at times misogynistic at times homophobic, just like cis boil of a movie that is like trying to cross every line humanly possible but also i think is like really really fascinating because it feels like him coming off of pearl harbor and being like you know what that was a mistake that wasn't me this, this is the kind of movie i want to be make this is this where is i really the real excel. Me. this is and the real I, michael bay yes and i'm gonna make the complete like untapped full id on screen movie that is just like total uncompromised vision of of this guy's like nihilistic worldview and the like crazy (laughs) stuff he just wants to put on i mean that that is a movie where there's a car chase where the bad guys are throwing like human corpses out of a truck to like stop will smith and martin lorris's car and they're like 
running over dead bodies of people and like heads are popping off and stuff. Oh I like, haven't seen anyone who. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen it in so long, but I do remember the highway chase being awesome. Um, yes. I generally have a few sort of gaps in my my Bay filmography in the early days, uh, in part because some of them I feel like I'm like, I just kind of had to be there in that moment in the late 90s mm-hmm. to like get really into it. Um, but Bad Boys, I watched those movies. Uh, the first Bad Boys is kind of whatever. Um, it's okay. He was, he was trying some things. Bad Boys 2, though, is like, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that people do continually sort of bring up with, uh, you know, Michael Bay stuff. Uh, you know style is that uh or, or themes or whatever narrative like there is an element of amorality to all of this and like you have to kind of roll with the fact that like you know michael bay is not the preferred choice of like the like the the sort of sect of online film discourse where it's like i want to see good people doing good things on no. screen and feel like like there is like like a like capital problematic, you know, like there's there's all that going on and you have to sort of like roll with the complexities of the text and also like do some of your own introspection of like, yeah, I'm enjoying the hell out of this too, of just like the pure chaos. I mean, there's some stuff from what I remember, like I remember even at the time as a kid who was not super into uh, you know, every element of film yet, because I was like, I don't know, 10. I do mm-hmm. remember like controversies over the second Transformers movie and like the fact that they have like oh, yeah. extremely racist robots in the movie. Yeah. Like, there's some truly insane stuff in the Bay filmography. In the, I mean, yeah. just his overall treatment of, of women. women throughout yeah. most of his career of like, you know, it, <laughs> I feel like in pretty much every single Transformers movie, there's like, some woman in like high heels and like booty shorts and and with yeah. with like a push up bra that's just that then turns to the camera and is like I'm a nuclear physicist or yeah, something exactly. yeah. like that's that's I, the Michael Bay like every woman is like a Victoria's Secret model basically I fully remember back when I was really young uh, I guess I was I was eight when Transformers one came out. So my parents are still a little, little skittish about letting me watch stuff. And they definitely uh, like tried to skip over or did skip over the scene uh, where it's Megan Fox working on the car and you've got Shia LaBeouf oh, literally yeah. drooling as she like fixes his car. And he's like, like just sitting there by, uh, by the motor, like about, to, it's like cartoonish almost. Like, it's like the thing of like, it's like the cartoon where the guy's eyes pop out. Like, it's right. Like, I was just thinking the, the wool, the wolf yes. at the table. I was like, hur, yes. hur, hur, hur. it's, yeah. it's, really kind of uh stunning and you're right i mean it you know it's interesting in that uh you can kind of see that though as like a remnant of the late the early slash late 2000s aesthetic because bay has kind of gotten a little better about it ambulance is yeah. not quite is not quite no. as bad but then if you remember also like the fast and furious movies that used to be part of that franchise's aesthetic too where it was just like mm-hmm. a much more sort of like every street race is like bikinis and models and all that. Right. And then they sort of shifted from that over time. Uh, you know, Bay still does have kind of uh, a little bit of that, but like ambulance is going to be shorter on that than some of the films. And it's certainly sort of tapered off. And Isaac Gonzalez, like, you know, she, she looks like even as they're in the middle of this, like tense action scenario, you know, she's got like her lip gloss is like perfect. Perfect makeup. Like, I think it was like uh, Christy Lemire at rogerebert.com, like made 
made that point of like, <laughs> you know, she she looks like impossibly gorgeous in like every scene, but yeah. at least like feels like a character that is more competent and and more of like a a fully realized person at the very least than you know she is not there just to be sort of a a a sex pot for michael bay the camera is not sort of cringily like leering over her the way that like megan fox or like 90 percent of the other women in the transformers movies have been oh yeah oh yeah so i mean uh, do you have any kind of like final thoughts about that kind of like first chunk the sort of like ascension part of his career that sort of spans from that kind of or even like some of the commercial and music video work um i mean i think the most notable of like his commercial work is the the got milk he he kind of kickstarts the got milk campaign mm-hmm. for them um and you know does a bunch of music videos for i think meatloaf is the artist he works with the most i think the thing about and you sort of alluded to this earlier with this sort of music video aesthetics being part of Faye's thing. Um, you know, when I was younger and really sort of super hyper invested in like franchise tent poles and stuff, um, you'd always get really excited if you like were a little kid who liked movies and you'd watch the trailers over and over. Mm-hmm. And the movies and the action scenes were very rarely as exciting as the trailers. Uh, for better and for worse, Michael Bay is the only filmmaker who edits his movies like he's editing a trailer. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's the thing where I think that is the interesting, in some ways, connective tissue. I remember it's not quite ambulance when we'll get to that is a bit more of a structurally sound movie. Um, I remember Six Underground, especially yeah. being edited at such an insane pace uh, that it felt like you were watching a feature length trailer. Um, ambulance has a bit more formal restrictions, but there's still, you know, there's some just crazy it's, stuff. It's cutting and rapidly. I, I think really we'll, cutting as fast. we get into. I mean, I mean, he he is a filmmaker that I feel like he doesn't uh, sort of create tension in the way that like you know like a Brian De Palma would. No. Just sort of like here's this like elegant uh, sequence that is sort of establishing the geography of the scene and sort of building tension off of like you knowing exactly like where people and objects are in relation to each other michael bay yeah i feel like his action scenes can often be like very disorienting and very hard to sort of figure out what's going on but he i and 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 so they oftentimes ride like this very fine line between like this is totally incomprehensible and i don't know what is going on to the sort of speed and energy and just sort of sheer chaos at like every yeah. single moment and every single cut just sort of creates tension naturally. Even if you at the same time are like, I don't know what's going on, but my like heart feels like it's on speed basically. And it's just yeah, beating a no. million miles an hour. There's an intense kineticism to Bay's films that is hard to generate um but that's very much palpable i mean even uh gosh there's a scene early in ambulance and i keep going back to ambulance because it's the one that's freshest on my mind um early in the film and i legitimately for about a split second thought i was going to have a panic attack because he is uh it's a scene early in the film and jake gyllenhaal's pitching uh yaya abdul mateen's uh character on this heist and the camera is just moving at this, you know, like basically oh, yeah. <laughs> in this circular motion. And it's, but it's not like he's going around the characters. He's editing between no, the yeah. circular camera. And it's like, it's so just like anxiety inducing. Um, and that's what Michael Bay does really well. Yeah. I mean, you're right. There's not going to be a ton of spatial 
geography always. I remember one of the main critiques of the early Transformers films was that you couldn't tell what was going on in any of the action scenes. No one knew what was happening. By the third film, he smooths it out. Dark of the Moon was the one where he was like, people said, okay, like, like, let's like pull the camera back a bit. Let some, some like fluid takes happen, uh, which Dark of the Moon is the other Transformers movie in that series that I like quite a bit. Uh, it's really ridiculous. Uh, that's the one where they essentially destroy and annihilate the city of Chicago. That's right. Where like um, half the movie is, I, I mean, I, I remember that movie being, I remember not enjoying that movie, but I, I. I do understand the take of like there is a level of kind of like awe in the in the sort of second half of that movie at just like how much he's willing to just sort the the level of just pure destruction and carnage yeah. in like the second half of that movie of he he is willing to just sort of obliterate that city and and sort of lay waste to just bl- endless blocks like I, I I remember news stories of when that movie was coming out of like people in Chicago being like, there's whole sections of town that are just shut down because Michael Bay is like blowing up build like sections of yeah. buildings and is like turning this sort of part of the city into a war zone basically for this new Transformers movie and and like as as much as I don't remember that movie, it's it's the kind of thing of like no one's gonna go further in that like apocalyptic destruction than he is, and even no, if yeah. you're not enjoying the movie, you kind of have to be at least somewhat impressed by just the the amount of just destruction and spectacle he's willing to indulge in. I believe uh, the critic uh, and podcaster. Uh, Josh Lewis, who's very popular on Letterboxd, described that film as Transformers 9-11, um, which is <laughs> very essentially accurate. what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like an hour, and it's just him blowing stuff up. And also Optimus Prime goes like full murder mode and decapitates him. Like, there's just so much stuff that like would only come out of that man's brain. Um, and uh, and yeah, you're right. I mean, and the other thing about like, the you're, you're onto something as well in terms of the practicality of, you know, most filmmakers maybe not 10 years ago, but, you know, and that film came out about eight months before Avengers did, and it puts the final battle in that film. Oh, yeah. I mean, just in terms of sheer spectacle and, and insanity. Um, but yeah, the, the practicality of Bay is the other thing that I think has in some ways, you know, even in these giant CGI monstrosity movies mm-hmm. that are the Transformers films, he's still doing stuff very practically and that's something in ambulance as well of like you know he's yeah he complained on you know in an interview on twitter on whatever about cgi in this film and yeah there's a little bit of it but he was shooting stuff in downtown los angeles like mm-hmm. uh and this is kind of a you know people have made fun of the title on twitter because it's ambu la la this <laughs> is very much when, an la when movie. i when i told people um, i was going to go see it i i made sure to really emphasize i would do the ambulance it would be la and then wink at them and then ants or something and they'd yes. be like oh good lord <laughs> yes uh it's very much a film that's about sort of tactile locations it's set in the real world he's doing this stuff practically in a lot of cases he's kind of a stunt expert um you know and that makes a difference as well when you're you know especially when we're talking about the critical reappreciation like when you have a a contemporary spectacle 
cinema that's almost entirely rooted in uh, doing shit on a green screen, you know, Michael Bay is going to feel like a breath of fresh air at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of moving through our timeline. Um, so I guess the one movie he does after Bad Boys, he does. Have you ever seen The Island? Which is kind of not, for no. for a while it was sort of like the one big bomb in his career. Um, not yeah. a movie I particularly enjoy, though it it does have its kind of mo- it does have some of his most striking visuals in it. Um, basically a like very high concept science fiction movie with Scarlett Johansson and Ewan McGregor. That um, but yeah, like I said, big bomb at the time when it came out in like 04, yeah. 05. After that, he gets into the Transformers series, which is largely what he does for the next decade. Um, we've kind of talked about that series a lot. I'll kind of like toss it to you if there's any other kind of big things you want to say about it. Uh, the last two things I think I thought of in just sort of reflecting on these movies. Um, I mean, I, I think most of the Transformers movies are quite bad, but they are... They are unique in the sense of one of the very rare movie franchises in which you pretty much have one filmmaker's sort of soul aesthetic and voice yeah. over like multiple movies. I mean, I guess there's now the, that new Bumblebee, Haley Steinfeld movie, but like Bay did like yeah. five Transformers movies and that's pretty and, and they all are very unmistakably Michael Bay movies are yeah. full of his aesthetics for better or I think largely for worse in those movies. <laughs> um, I think kind of before I toss it to you, like I think the thing for me that doesn't quite work with those movies is the Bay movies that I enjoy the most or, or I think how, or I think work the best are the ones that have very tight, simple premises to them. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem with the transformers movies and, and then I, I saw this sort of mentioned in, several other pieces as people have been writing about him in the last week leading up to this movie is sort of the transformers movies are kind of like weighed down by all of this really convoluted mythology about like the yeah. various warring factions and stuff. And we, we kind of mentioned of like the further that series goes on the like infinitely more complicated and convoluted that mythology becomes even to the point of like contradicting stuff from other movies and you can tell he's not really interested in it, but the movies are like weirdly putting this like extraordinary amount of like weight and scholarship yeah. into it to yeah. the point where like you're just like, I don't I don't know what the fuck is the difference between like an Autobot and a Decepticon, and I don't really care. Yeah. And they all the Transformers no. kind of look the same. And when they fight, it looks like two junkyards dry humping each other on screen. <laughs> yeah i mean um what i'll say about that franchise first one rocks i still like it i still if it's on tv i'll still leave it on which which i remember being one of the more it like the first one if i remember correctly is the most simple of it's a it's a competent well-told story it's a you know it's a high school movie as bay emphasized kind of in his uh q a you know it's fairly straightforward it has uh some some you know the usual dumb stuff but like it also has john turturro doing like really great bits it's got just some weird fun stuff and the bumblebee plot works um it's a good solid blockbuster movie the second one is famously a victim of the writer's strike mm-hmm. so it is even more incomprehensible also he has, the he has come back in recent years and has even said he thinks that movie is shit yeah, I mean, it just it has some great action moments, has some funny little bits. It doesn't work entirely. 
Uh, it does have the moment where John Turturro makes a comment about being directly underneath uh, the alien robot scrotum, which is an all timer right. in the Bay canon of dumb humor. Uh, three is good. And like we said, just kind of uh, insane destruction. Um, the franchise gets objectively worse when you get to the Mark Wahlberg era. The two Wahlberg although it movies. Does, it does. Yeah. Age of Extinction has some great moments. Also, it's just like some of the Bay moments are just like really like accidentally kind of wonderfully ridiculous. Like it's like you've got like strapping farmer Mark Wahlberg, but he's like running around going, I'm an inventor. And he's like, you know, and then he's like grabbing Bud Lights off trucks. That scene has gone That's viral in right. recent days. Yeah. The product placement by four gets so out of control. There's a scene where Stanley Tucci's like doing literal pitches with Transformers technology. He's like, like music? How about the Beats pill? And it's yes. just the, absolutely outrageous. Like The product placement of- in those movies gets to the point of like, at, at the more they make, the more they became like infinitely more successful in like China yeah. than here in the US. Like, I think I remember yes. The, yes. the fifth one you know, became a hit and like turned a profit basically because it was a giant hit in China, but like kind of bombed here in the United States. Um, But like, you know, you get to some of the Wahlberg ones and there's like whole sections where it's nothing but like product placement for products in China because they know that like by that point, those movies are infinitely more popular in China and they make like the vast majority of their money overseas than they do even in here in the United States. Just just the ad man in Michael Bay kind of coming out in that movie is kind of interesting as as much as it is. It's as interesting as much as it is like really eye rolling kind of in the theater when it happens. Yeah, I did a quick box office mojo search for four makes two forty five domestic and eight fifty eight international, um, uh, and then five makes one thirty domestic but still four seventy five international. Uh-huh. Um, so and yeah, a lot of that money is coming from um, uh, a lot of that is coming from China. These these films were in, in, intensely popular there. Um, yeah, it made 220. It's like almost a third of its gross on the fifth one came from the Chinese box office. Um, you know, and that sort of started to change the trajectory of the series as well in terms of where they set the films, where mm-hmm. they had big action scenes, where they. Uh, so, yeah, it becomes this sort of international franchise product. Um, I'm glad he stopped. Five yes. was a clear uh, five was a clear sort of nadir for the franchise where it was just like, OK, this is enough. Go do something else, Michael. Like even we can tell even you're bored by this crap at this point. Um, but it has some fun moments. It's fun while it lasted. And uh, it's fun to see, like you said, in a franchise that's primarily aimed at children and at selling toys, uh, something so sort of rigorously ridiculous and stupid uh, and at times crass and oversexed. And it's just a weird, like you said, this weird anomaly in recent franchise film history um, that I'm glad we got, even if the the sort of ship has sailed on it being, uh, you know, something of interest anymore. And I think Bay, from what I gathered from the Q and a is very much done with, with transformers. He's, he's had enough. So, to kind of tie us into ambulance and this this is how we can kind of like loop some of the other movies bay has done in more recent years into mm-hmm. this i think it's interesting that like obviously we mentioned the transformers movies made like an insane amount of money for as sort of critically loathed as they were at the time yeah and even 
you know, that, that sort of initial run of blockbusters. Um, for someone who it, it seemed like was definitely one of the kind of big powerhouse blockbuster filmmakers in Hollywood for better or for worse for so long. I don't, do you, I don't, I get the feeling that Michael Bay is not necessarily uh, the cash cow in the studio system that he maybe once was. I mean, the we're doing recording this on a Sunday evening. Uh, the box office results for Ambulance that I've seen this afternoon are really not good. It's looking like it's opening the movie at like number four at the box office and is like the low has now yeah. uh, surpassed even 13 hours. The uh, Benghazi movie he did with John Krasinski as like his lowest opening weekend. Um, and we'll, we'll see if it passes that movie as like his lowest grossing movie ever. But you know, in if we look at like the last five years, I mean, we mentioned kind of like the last Transformers movie, big hit in China, but kind of underwhelmed here in the U.S. market. Yeah. And you know, I forget if it comes like right before, or right after. But then there's the Benghazi movie, which yeah. at this point, you know, we'll see what happens with Ambulance is probably like his least successful movie. Um, yeah. And feel free to give any thoughts you have on that one. I like barely remember it. I remember not really liking it and not being surprised I... that like America was just sort of like, cause that, that whole situation became such a political football so quickly. I'm not surprised that yeah. like America was just like, nah, I'm not touching, I'm not touching that, whatever this is. Um, and, and then his most recent movie, Six Underground was, was Netflix, you know, it, so it went never, to Netflix. That, so, yeah. right. Our one gap in there also, he makes this one in between Transformers 3 and 4. He does Pain and Gain, which right. I remember finding really repulsive, but I'm surprised I'm looking back on it. He actually made like 50 yeah. million, which is more than Ambulance is going to make. Right. I mean, it was it was a fairly inexpensive movie as well. Yeah. And as it well. has two movie stars. I mean, right. The Rock and uh, The Rock doing his most sort of unhinged role that he has not really gone back to yet. No. Um, and then Wahlberg kind of doing something crazy as well. Uh, what what are I'm, your thoughts well, on that that movie? Quickly I want to give that one another go because a lot of people I respect really really like it a lot yeah. as a kind of uh, critique of American excess and exceptionalism. I just remember finding it really gross at the time, and I had a really hard time getting yeah. into. There's just a, there's some vivid imagery in that one that I remember of just like it's a gross story and it's yes. told sort of uh, in a sort of really crass, it's told in the Michael Bay style. Yeah. Um, it came out around the same time. I think that, uh, um, that like Wolf of wall street did. And so it's sort of right. has like a similar in, in, it's in a similar dialogue if I remember correctly, which um, is interesting. Cause like I, I actually went back and like watched some clips from that before we went mm -hmm. on. And um, you know, cause I, I think that is among the more interesting movies of his, yeah. if only because it seems so divisive and there is this even at the time it came out there was sort of like a, a sort of large swath of of critics and cinephiles that sort of see it as him sort of commenting on his sort of like overly commercial kind of gross nihilistic aesthetic mm -hmm. and doing it towards a movie about kind of gross commercialist people um, I, yeah. I, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, like the Wolf of Wall Street comparison. Cause that's, was the other thing that was ringing in my mind of like, I feel like they came out around the same time and are so they similar did, in yeah. the kinds of stories they want to tell. I think the one thing that 
works in Wolf, and I think Scorsese has a handle on that is not necessarily in the Bay repertoire, and is the maybe the reason that like I I, I would go back and watch Pain and Gain in full because like I said I only watch rewatch some clips yeah, of it. Yeah, same. But same. The I I think the Pain and Gain is missing kind of an archness and um, a sense of irony that I don't think bay has as a filmmaker like whatever i'm sure his intentions were very sort of like pure and sort of like i am making kind of a satirical movie about sort of like doofuses who will just sort of do any number of horrible things to kind of get rich and live this sort of sadistic version of the american dream but i think scorsese and kind of comparing it to wolf of wall street has a way of doing that while clearly I think his aesthetics can clearly sort of indulge in their behavior while also kind of having a a sort of sarcastic eye roll and and sort of critical view that is both sort of lampooning them while also indulging in all their bad behavior. Whereas like yeah. Bay's filmmaking, ha- there's like nothing lampoonish about it. You know, Bay's aesthetics, as we mentioned, is just to make everything cool and sexed up. And so there's a weird way in which like I also totally get and even had the feeling when I first saw it of like this actually feels kind of gross and like I get that it's sort of trying to criticize these guys but the filmmaking is just sort of being is is sort of reflecting how kind of and making them seem awesome if that makes any sense so that's that's just my quick rant on pain and gain but fascinated to rewatch it if the opportunity ever presented I I agree also, are you are you implying, Jesse, that Martin Scorsese is maybe a better filmmaker than Michael Bay? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I agree. I mean, I think yeah. I think, you know, the moments in Wolf of Wall Street where stuff gets really, really intense are, you know, he has a way of conveying a certain gravity there where I think like Bay's critical, but I also think he finds this stuff really funny and like kind of cool. And like, right. I don't really think there's like a, a sense of morality to his filmmaking, whereas there, that is sort of a core tenet of what uh, Martin Scorsese does. Um, to bounce back to your 13 Hours one, I think that's an interesting film to read in the context of. For, do you, you remember that stretch of time where every single year at the start of the year there was like a big military movie in January? That yes, was just a thing. That- for it, years. It, this was this is totally a like got greenlit at a studio trying to be like yeah. American Sniper. Was Lone, sur- giant... Lone Survivor and American Sniper yeah, made this money. Is totally we gotta figure the, this out. Yeah, get in on the American Sniper uh craze of like let's do like a very earnest recent current event military movie. Um yeah. just just so happened to be one that was also loaded with all of this like became this political hot top we we don't have time to get into the like the way benghazi was <laughs> we don't, sort of we don't like have time to unpack hijacked. benghazi as a yes. social phenomenon yeah. <laughs> right right uh, i like the movie a lot it's kind of it's chaotic it's uh you know michael bay making a sort of really down and dirty gory war film once again i think there's the question of what to make of the politics of that film i don't even know it's probably the one that i would be most eager to rewatch if um uh, of that sort of military stretch of films, um, you know, especially I know there's a lot of Eastwood fans who will really go to bat for Lone Survivor, or not Lone Survivor, for American Sniper. Uh, I don't really know. Uh, I'm not a full-on Eastwood auteurist, so I don't. I don't have the. I don't have the the, the credentials I, to unpack that. I like um, Eastwood more than Bay, but like 
I'm I'm not going to defend that movie, which I find wildly overrated. <laughs> yeah, other than no, the Bradley remember, Cooper performance, I remember, I remember feeling that way at the time. Which yeah, it was fun. I, I was at a this is my second humble brag of the day. I was at a Paul Thomas Anderson Q and A earlier this year, and apparently the American Sniper performance is what drew him to want to be oh. to want to work with Bradley Cooper, which I find fascinating, especially because that's so disparate from what he's doing right. as John Peters in, in that movie. Um, but yeah, with 13 hours, it's, you know, it's Michael Bay, uh, you know, as he sort of self-consciously remarked upon when he was talking, he's like, you know, it's, I've had a career trajectory over time, uh, you know, where we've gotten more critical of uh, American institutions. That's one of them. Once again, you go, hmm, where's the politics happening uh, here? Um, uh, it's very militaristic. It's very well made uh, in his sort of hyper- exaggerated style um i don't know if i would go to bat for it but i think it's it's enjoyable in a way um but uh and then yeah six underground is like the over the overabundance of ryan reynolds meets the over uh the the sort of maximalism of michael bay yeah uh, and it's I, I, a I, lot i like it a lot as well I, uh, crafty, I, but i couldn't get on board with that movie and and i think i probably share a similar example of um uh youtube essayist uh patrick willems who if you Uh want more michael bay content he has like a great two-part kind of unpacking of bay's aesthetic and his career that's like i think in total it's like an hour and 20 minutes or something like that but well worth watching if you enjoy this conversation but i think he even kind of touches on that there there's a way in which the the ryan reynolds sort of like snarky meta-ness and the bay earnestness are kind of butting heads with each other in that movie. But mm. I will say it does feel like Bay kind of just like passed bad boys too on TV one day and was just like, I think I can top that. Or was a bit <laughs> just like, hold my beer because there's an argument that like six underground is actually, has actually now surpassed bad boys too as the like most sort of like no holds bar bay aesthetic just like cranked up to 11 essentially like uh, imagine the the meme of al pacino just like shoving his face in the mound of cocaine and scarface like that that is that movie it is so unhinged and grotesquely violent and over the top um but yeah i mean it's like it's like all the things that like michael bay's critics would hate about michael bay and the people who enjoy michael bay movies go yeah i'll, I'll have some of that I'll yes take that. um no i think he even remarked upon when the film was coming out basically of like netflix just gave him 200 million and said hey go do go whatever make you this want ridiculous movie um and that's the result um for me it was a lot of fun i do not begrudge anyone who's like this is just too much of everything um, i like that aspect of it i think my problem is more more my ryan reynolds allergy that has now become a that's bit fair. on this podcast i hadn't gotten to the point yet i think my my ryan reynolds tipping point was uh when free guy came out and i watched that as like a rental a few months ago um and i found nothing to like about it no um, and that movie. was the point where i'm like i think i'm done with ryan reynolds maybe yeah. one more deadpool movie is all i can take well let's maybe transition to talking about ambulance which uh, as I said earlier, I think you and I both had a lot of fun at um, oh, yeah. kind of give there. there's an overcomplicated way I can explain this movie because this is I think the one big criticism I could give to it is 
it kind of struggles a little bit getting going because there is a mm. lot of sort of needless plot and needless backstory to every random character that we're going to bring together. I'm oh, not going to do that. Yeah. Um, no. Basically, the, the think, short, yeah. simple version is um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Bateem II play bank robbers. They are also, I guess, adopted brothers. Just roll yeah. with it. Um, the bank heist they do goes terribly wrong. In the chaos, they hijack an ambulance. In the back of the ambulance is a wounded cop who has been shot by one of them and then they take hostage at one of the ambulance medics who's uh who isaac gonzalez plays and the majority of the movie is basically just this long chase scene as various uh police departments and dea any form of law enforcement imaginable is just sort of careening after this ambulance and it becomes kind of like you know I, I i imagine so many people watching this will think of speed the great movie from the yep. 90s that's very different in its setup but still like a, a vehicle just charging down the highway in los angeles or i even thought of um a movie i really like uh unstoppable the the tony scott mm. movie mm. with denzel which is like great just fun dumb entertainment uh yeah yeah, I think that this to me is, I think, the most enjoyable Michael Bay movie since I would say Bad Boys 2. For yeah. for me, at it's, least, I I, I enjoyed the the chaos of it. We kind of talked about earlier that he is sort of creating tension by just keeping you so like disoriented the entire time. Absolutely. This is just like two hours of like nonstop chaos it's cutting rapidly there it the most of the movie is in this like very very tight like three inches from their face close-ups of the actors in this ambulance and the camera's shaking and it's rapidly cutting and then we'll go outside to a wide shot but it's not just any wide shot it's a drone footage that's like zipping and zapping around buildings and it's through like cars flipping, and- flipping off the top of fucking buildings <laughs> right. in downtown la and spinning 360 yes. <laughs> um it is it is the film of an absolute madman uh a mad genius the last person to kind of make something this unhinged. Um, you're right. I mean, and there is, you know, obviously every character. I'll say, I'll say the one thing I've I've tried to sell people in this movie as um, it's very much, and I'm thinking about it in line with certain scholarship I've read on a genre that critics will call like the male melodrama. That's what mm. this is, though. It's yes. a, uh, <laughs> it's it's um, it's a John Woo movie in some ways. Um, it's, uh, you know, very much like, uh, there's this John Woo movie from the early nineties, uh, with Tony Leung, um, and, uh, it's great. It's called bullet in the head. And it's like, these like adult, like friends slash, you know, brotherhood of folks and they go and then they accidentally do crimes and then they turn on each other. And there's like a very similar edit near the end of this movie uh-huh. to the end of that film. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this all makes sense. It's kind of like a John Woo movie in some ways in terms of its pure sort of excess um, and also the weird Michael Bay sentimentality that's running throughout it. Um, uh, it is, you know, but for the most part, uh, it is just a crazy ride. Uh, speed, uh, speed is absolutely there. Uh, the bank heist kind of has some heat energy. Yes. Um, you know, uh, and he's kind of just going all out. And yeah, those drone shots, I was cackling every time one of he would cut to one of them because they're just so uh, profoundly excessive. 
and so sort of unnecessary, but that's part of what's happening here. That um, that was what I was so yeah. fascinated to hear because because I remember when the trailer for this came out and they they have a lot of those drone shots in the trailer. Yeah, and I was just thinking like, what kind of in like. How is he getting some of these shots? And then to hear, like, I'm yeah. sure he talked about this in the the Q and A you went to about. I guess he hired the world's fastest drone racer, yeah. and like that's yeah. how he achieved these shots where the camera is just sort of zipping and zapping between buildings, and like as yeah. cars are going like full speed in some chase sequences, it seems like, and it's yeah. it's just the most like crazy, insane thing you've ever seen. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've, uh, and it's even more insane when you realize like the area where he's doing it. First of all, I'll say this, like I, I live in LA at the moment. Um, uh, I've driven around LA quite a bit. Uh, the idea that these guys would get going on a chase that long in that city without hitting some traffic jams, uh, is fully beyond that. We are, we are outside of a, the realm of reason uh, uh-huh. at a certain point. Um, but no, I mean, there's a real sort of tangible sense of sort of LA geography. It's very much a sort of city film, uh, in some ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's getting these drone shots to sort of accompany that. Um, you know, I love the moments where they're sort of like working through the alleys, the, uh, the constant sort of LAPD helicopters, which is a thing. You will not go more than five feet in the city without hearing several helicopters, um, uh, so very much a sort of L.A. film, very much a sort of excessive, you know, drone style. And I should say that, like, the excess extends to the performances. This is oh, a Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal uh, going absolutely bonkers all out. Not quite at, like, the Okja level. Like, that sort of remains yes. his sort of chaotic peak. Uh, but this is the performance of a truly bonkers individual. Uh, and it's a lot of fun to watch. And it's a perfect match for the sort of Bay, he gets yeah. the sort of excess of what Bay does and he understands it really sort of intuitively. Uh, and that helps a lot. Yeah. It's interesting comparing him to uh, Isaac Gonzalez or Yaya Abdul-Mateen mm-hmm. the second of like, I think yeah. all of them work in the movie, but they're choosing very different approaches. To the material of like Yaya yeah. Abdul-Mateen the second and uh, Isaac Gonzalez almost like, understand that they need to like really underplay everything because the movie around them is so crazy and so manic and as i said earlier the camera is literally like three and a half inches from their face and so is able to sort of like get every single little twitch or like glance at the eye and so like they're they're going very understated while gyllenhaal i think (laughs) <laughs> and the, yeah. this Gyllenhaal performance he he is just sort of like I'm gonna match the energy of this movie and it is you know to to call back to a movie we referenced earlier it's basically like what if you took he's basically doing the bit in Wolf of Wall Street where Leo is like on the boat and is like freaking out about the quaaludes <laughs> and is like what if I did that the entire movie of he's constantly weaving between like this just like effortless charisma and sort of charm movie star charm to like bug eyed craziness and like shoving guns in people's mouths to then being like, does anyone need to chill out? Come on. I need to chill out, man. Let's put it on my ear ear pods. You want to listen to sailing away? Let's get this chilled out, man. Oh, this isn't chilling me out. Oh shit. Like that's, that's how speedy. That's what what you're in for. (laughs) Yeah. And I, it's, it's magical. 
yeah i he's an actor that can sometimes go a little too over the top for me but i think yeah. this movie is crazy enough that his sort of it, it almost just feels like like coked out insanity in this movie in which like he is darting between so many different like the performance almost like makes no sense but it makes no sense in a way that is like very very fun no absolutely i mean and it, it he, he understands the sort of michael bay sense of humor too i mean i guess there's like an early scene where he's like He's like, you want some coffee? I got one of those new curing things. And you're just like, dude, it's just like, it's very, very funny, very strange. I mean, and yeah, the, the sort of weird humor carries throughout this movie. I mean, you've got, there's, there's a, a needle scene. There's a needle drop. Where, I don't want to spoil for people that I might've already kind of hinted at with my bad Hall impersonation, but like, I don't normally they think put of that Michael. scene in a trailer. I was what? so mad about that. Yeah, uh, it's see, ridiculous. I, I, had, I had not yeah. seen that. I had only seen like the initial trailer that came out like last fall, and so yeah. like the the entire like that, oh, yeah the press screening incredible. I was in, which included first responders. That because this is Michael Bay's like first responders salute movie, they invited a bunch of free first responders as well as like critics and people who just were there to see America. a free movie. And everyone yeah. in the theater like erupted laughing at it's the so like spontaneous needle drop that happens that it just see the movie if only for I mean see it for a million reasons, but like that that moment is I was <laughs> impressed that a director whose humor I normally like detest, like actually yeah. did like a really, really funny needle drop. Also the this scene's kind of gone viral, but we have this there's this supplementary FBI agent character who is like new Jake Gyllenhaal from, or new the Jake Gyllenhaal character from, I don't uh -huh. know, school or something, from like bank robbing school or something like that, or like when they were a criminology program or something. And he's going through couples uh, therapy with his husband, partner, or something. And they're like, all he's over worried about is bank robberies. Like, Do people <laughs> even rob banks anymore? And then he gets a text on his phone. It's like, massive bank robbery, DTLA. <laughs> it's just, some of it is just so funny. I mean, they have one of Michael Bay's dogs is in the movie. That's and right. And they crash yeah. one of the chase scenes where they're driving and then they're like, what's this dog but, doing in the back seat? And it's like the dog's farting the entire time. <laughs> so it's just like you have this very sincere movie and then you have just little hints of like the most outrageous like Michael Bay. Like this reminded me in some ways and from what I understand, the script had been sitting around for a while. No one had made it. He it's, it's a remake, it right? Off. It's a remake. He dusted it off and did some stuff to it. In some ways, there's a famous story of the fact that, like, the script for Hitchcock's North by Northwest was basically designed as the ultimate Hitchcock movie. Mm -hmm. In some ways, as I was watching this, I was like, was this script designed as the ultimate Michael Bay movie? Like, this is so designed to sort of bring together all of his different uh, aesthetic, formal, thematic impulses. Um, and it's just a, it's a blast to watch at a certain point. I mean, I'm not going to argue that it's like, you know, the pinnacle of, of, uh, you know, uh, intellectual cinema, of course not, but, uh, it's a really fun action movie and we just don't get that much anymore. Everything yeah. is connected to this endless franchise. Even the film that I probably liked the most this year, the Matt Reeves Batman film, which I thought was terrific. Uh, even that sort of, you know, setting up a whole universe and it's so sort of 
overblown, but in a very different way from mm-hmm. how a Michael Bay film is overblown. Um, Ambulance is just kind of like a real old fashioned throwback yeah. action film. Um, you know, it has some moments that I like more than others. And I think, you know, it, uh, it's hard to sustain the chase always, but it, it's pretty good. And it gets increasingly sort of ridiculous and, uh, funny and weird. And I was having, I was, I was jumping up and down in my seat throughout. Yeah. I, I think the, if you can make it through, I think it, it, it struggles a little bit in just being a little too overstuffed, I think in that initial 10, 15 minutes. And then I would say like, you know, once, once, once the chase reaches, it's sort of like stopped conclusion at the, like the, I would say the beginning 10, 15 minutes and the last 10, 15 minutes, I think was where I felt the movie most straining to kind of fill a runtime. It didn't necessarily need to fill, but yeah. you know, I, I think when you're in that vehicle and ca- he's able to just, it, it almost crystallizes for me in what I'm sure will be one of the more memorable movie scenes of the year, which is to not spoil too much a like characters performing a very difficult uh surgery oh, while yes. the car is careening down like a hundred miles an hour down the freeway and yeah. uh you know other vehicles are trying to like run them off the road and stuff of like that that is the moment where in like the michael bay aesthetic and how fast he's cutting and how sort of blurred the Im- and like up close the images are becoming and everyone's just screaming at each other and then any possible thing that you can imagine going wrong during this process goes wrong. And like he, he's cutting between like police officers chasing them. Doctors are trying to phone in, um, Gyllenhaal driving, uh, <laughs> Isaac Gonzalez and Yabdul team in the back state. Like he's cutting between like five or six different things and it just keeps getting faster and faster. And the image is more sort of, distorted as he's like zooming it between one person to the next and then the drone shots and that that is the moment when like i almost thought i was going to have a panic attack in the theater and he does give you a couple granted gross out but like gross out humor moments in that scene that like there were people in my audience that were like shrieking and screaming and like standing up in their scenes of just like the the amount of pure chaos that gets contained in that scene where like it to like like a train metaphor like the train is like bouncing up off the tracks and is about to just sort of like fall off and like explode on the side of the of the of the railway but yet somehow like manages to get through in time and and that at least is thrilling to watch and like worth a recommendation in my opinion he is the grand conductor of chaos and you know no one can do that put that stuff together quite like michael bay and yeah that set piece is is incredible and the film is visceral and you know it really it packs a punch i mean this is you know you can say what you will about the the excess or the lack of discipline or the sort of maximalist whatever but you know this is this is skillful filmmaking quite often. Uh, and it's, you know, the work of a very sort of singular director. Um, 
and for me, it was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I've always been, you know, I've, I was excited going into this movie. It wasn't like I was taken by surprise, but uh, it, it lives up to the hype. And I'm glad he's in this post-Transformers moment. Um, like you said, I, I wonder, um, you know, box office-wise, uh, the fact that his, uh, you know, his skills might not, uh, might not get him the budgets he needs. Though this movie only costs forty million. Though the fact yeah. that it's not making that back uh, is kind of a bummer. Um, but you know, I, I think there are there is reason to be concerned. More generally, and this is a you know more existential conversation that we probably don't have time to get into. But there's reason to be concerned about the box office more generally right now. Yeah, what becomes a hit and what doesn't. Uh, as excited as I am for the Northman, uh, I worry about what will happen when that film drops in theaters yeah. and inevitably I mean, does I, not make its budget back. I hear um, it is much more commercial than Robert Eggers' other two movies, but I, I mean, I guess I'm seeing it here in like a couple, a couple weeks, like the day after Easter is when I have my press okay. screening for it. So I, I guess I'll see then whether that means it is like a true blue, like Conan the Barbarian popcorn movie, or is at least more commercial in regard to like a very austere slow burn horror movie and one of the more like yeah bizarre american movies of the last like five or six years which were his other two yeah i, I it's hard to imagine something i remember seeing the lighthouse opening opening expansion night when it was in chapel hill or, or durham or wherever i was at, at the time and yeah i remember the audience being quite baffled by that so yes. i don't think uh but yeah, no. The fact that Ambulance made eight million and Sonic the Hedgehog two made seventy one is a little, a little, a little dismaying to me. But I'm gonna just let it go. Kids like Sonic, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, before I wrap us up, uh, just because we've been covering it on the show, I did want to give the listeners an update of. It sounds like uh, the Academy has come to its decision on what to do about Will Smith and has <laughs> banned him from uh, the show uh for 10 years i just i don't know what more i have to say about this at a certain point i guess i will i will leave this to you if you have any will smith thoughts that you haven't just been talking about for the last (laughs) several decades um just felt it was important to acknowledge as a story we've been following on this show keep it in the yeah um i yeah like many i'm burned out on that story um i think the academy's response to it has been really funny Um, Yes, I think, um, uh, you know, I'm with a lot of people who in some ways, like, I don't know, you have to decide what you want to be as an award show. And I think the Academy, despite debasing themselves in every other way with Mm. their dumb sketches and bits this year, still see themselves as like an arbiter of prestige. And so slapping a guy on national television and then screaming uh, shit from your seat is just not going to fly. However, like it's a it's not a good business decision on their part, honestly. If they had Will Smith on the show next year, do you know how many people would tune in for that crap? Like, <laughs> that that is be, true. I, I expected they were watching. going to ban him, but only for maybe I was predicting maybe like a a couple of years, like a year or two yeah. or something like that. But I I don't yeah. know. I then again, this is the you know, the same organization that gave like roman polanski an oscar like decades after he fled europe on like child exactly uh, Exactly. sexual assault charges and you know who welcomed mel gibson back with open arms not too long ago so i i don't i'm 
fascinating that they took of this very very harsh stance while also like there is the voice in the back of my mind that is like hollywood loves nothing more than a comeback story and wouldn't be surprised if this timeline got shortened in a few years or no if, if will smith doubt. was in a movie that they were like will we just have to honor this um at he'll the show. do some 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 community service thing and get back in people's good graces yeah no i mean i think it's hilarious i think it's ridiculous i mean i don't really care i mean is it good to go up and slap people no uh, if they really cared, would they have kicked him out of the ceremony at the time? Yes. Did they not because they wanted to get the ratings because everyone wanted to see what he was going to say when he won? Yes. Um, so the whole thing is just kind of a, a just a collection of stupid. Just I don't really even know what to make of it at this point. Um, you know, it was I, I, I have appreciated all of the celebrities, uh, you know, explain explaining and expressing how traumatic it was for them. Um, uh, which is maybe the funniest thing that's happened this year. Um, uh, in general though, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of over that story. Uh, I'm kind of over the Oscars in general. Uh, I, I am too. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, uh, this was something about the show this year was just so gross. Uh, I've used that word a lot this episode. I, in some ways I, I mentioned on for... the the when I did my recap with with Hunter Heilman, I think I mentioned of just sort of like ending this show being like, you know what, if this institution just dies, then like I I I'm I'm done feeling sorry at this point if they're gonna like keep shooting themselves in the foot like that or digging their own graves yeah. essentially. The Academy does a ton of great work. Yes. in los angeles like being here of like um the you know the, the museum the screening series everything like that is is amazing um the award show i i question uh you know the utility of it at this point um and i question i don't know i want i want to watch a celebration of, of movies uh i don't want to watch um bits even when they did the little academy museum tour it felt like it was like just bits and jokes and like making fun of it and just that's just kind of sad but um you know yeah well josh thank you for for joining us this week to thanks to for talk about about mr it. michael bay uh in the coming weeks on the podcast next week um josh did you know that there's like a a, a new like harry potter verse movie that's coming out i feel like no No. one in america like knows this is i was out getting drinks with someone the other night and we passed a poster for it and they were legit i i knew this person was a harry potter fan and i asked them like did you know this was coming out and they said no so we'll 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 talk about the the harry potter cinematic phenomenon at at some point next week um we'll we'll see i wish uh, you good luck if there will be a lot of for us to to untangle no no problematic people for us to talk about at all associated oh, with this not franchise. Not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah. Harry Potter just sort of popped into the ether one day, and we all enjoyed it. Um, then in the week after, we'll discuss uh, the Northman, which we we briefly mentioned here, as well as the the Nicolas Cage movie, uh, an unbearable weight of massive talent.